He says the Bible is the cornerstone of American history, which is why throughout the centuries this land has withstood the fury of the winds, tides, and the storms. So what I'm going to be talking about today, about building our life and our homes on the rock. He says that our shore should become homeland to the persecuted believers seeking freedom to practice their faith, that people would follow by the thousands with Bibles under their arms. Notice that the very thing that we came here for is under attack. You can't go to church. You can't gather. You can't, you know, I mean, you can't sing in church. Listen to the, the subtle message. He says, uh, here we would experience spiritual awakenings of biblical proportions that the United States would produce generations of preachers and missionaries, educators, businessmen, businesswomen, teachers, statesmen, homemakers, and evangelists to take the gospel to the nations and turn the world upside down, that we would have the metal to send our nation's sons and daughters into wars for freedom of tyrannized peoples around the globe. So notice that, that we would have the metal, M-E-T-T-L-E. La fuerza, la ganas. He says that we would be the at the forefront of the greatest humanitarian cause for our day. This is no accident of history. It is the miracle of America. You know, no other country has a birth like ours besides Israel. If you read the Bible, the Bible says, I didn't choose any other nation or choose any other people to be my people. I chose the Jewish people. I chose Israel. President Harry Truman said, the fundamental basis of this nation's law was given to Moses on the mount. The fundamental basis of our Bill of Rights come from the teachings which we get from Exodus and St. Matthew, from Isaiah and St. Paul. If we don't have the proper fundamental, fundamental moral background, we will finally end up with a totalitarian government which does not believe in rights for anybody except the state. Notice that. We will end up with a totalitarian government which does not believe in rights for anybody except the state. To find its future, the United States must recall its past and reform its present. The Bible is the world's only moral compass that points to the true north. He says, but somehow we seem headed in a different direction today, downward into confusion, division, corruption, and murky Darwin, Darwinian morality forged by fickle society. You got to, I don't know if you want to pick up this book. It might be boring for you, but it's a lot of historical stories about a bunch of individuals. But I'm coming back to this one because this is a story that I wanted to share with you in there. But let's open up our Bibles. If you have them, say amen. Let's go with me to Matthew chapter 7. And um, I, I always say I'm going to try not to be long. That's the biggest lie. And how many of you guys know that liars will not inherit the kingdom of God? You know, some pastors say, I'm not going to preach a Pharaoh long message because Pharaoh wouldn't let his people go. Right? A Pharaoh long message. Matthew chapter 7. You guys figure it out back there? I think I gave you plenty enough time to try to figure it out. If not, the screen's big enough so they could see the verses now. All right. Matthew chapter 7. I'm trying to tie what I just shared with you. Therefore, verse 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them and does them rather, 
I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 25, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. That, that word founded can literally be built or grounded on the rock. Is the air conditioner up here? Um, and the rain descended, actually, but every, verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And notice the word Mega. How many of you guys are tired of hearing the word MAGA? Well, here the word is MEGA, M-E-G-A. That the fall was mega. Great. It was a great fall. It was a mega fall. And how many of you guys know that we're living in days where the foundations of our home are being tested? The very foundations, the very biblical family is being tested. Uh, America's Biblical foundation is being tested. Um, there's, it seems to be cracking, some people said. It seems to be pr cracking. Now, I never close out a sermon without trying to add more, and everything is always a work in progress. So bear with me. I think a couple Sundays ago, I preached out of Second Chronicles chapter 6, and I want to read it again. I wasn't going to, but I want to. Because it's my sermon and I can preach it how I want. You heard that one before? If you heard that, you watch too much Christian TV. Um, <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 7. Now, th this struck me because here David had a desire in his heart to build a house for God. And it says, now it was in the heart of my father David, Second Chronicles 6, verse 7. To build a temple, notice, for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, notice, where it was in your heart to build a temple for my name. Notice, it was a good thing. You did well in that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build a temple for my name. Now, there's a hint in there, and I've never heard a, a, a prophecy linked to that verse, but we know that through the seed of David was Jesus. And that is what God is saying, because how many of you guys know that God does not live in temples built by human hands, but it was a foreshadow of things to come. And so David had it in his heart to build a house for the Lord. He did everything, and he he furnished it. He put everything in place so that his son could be able to, he gave him the blueprint. The Bible says he gave him the vestibule. He gave, the, the, uh, he gave him all the articles of, and the furnishings of silver and gold. And he, he amassed wealth and even the spoils of all the nations that they fought against. And the Bible says that David gave everything to Solomon and God told David, you're not going to build a house but your son. And I, I, I've got to, I've got to go to chapter seven now. 
I've been preaching out of Chronicles, if you haven't got it, since I think March. Preached out of David and his men when they had that plague. And Pastor Mike preached out of it. You know, unless you repent, God will not relent. Preached out of it last year, I think, out of the wounded men. Usually takes time to read through these chapters. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things, notice this, which his father David had dedicated. Everything that David had dedicated, Solomon brought it in. In other words, everything that was in David's life, Solomon brought into the house. But, but what caught me is, is so all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. There's something wrong. And now I know that's inspired. But how many of you know that if you're building a Christian home and you're building a Christian family, that the work is never done? That the work is never finished, and we mistake we 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 fool ourselves, and we're mistaken if you think the work is complete. If you think, well, my house is built, my kids are in college, my health is great, I lack nothing, I need nothing, I have no need. How many of you guys know that we are in constant repair? We're in constant repair, and Bible says that Solomon he finished the house, and he said it's finished. But God said, it's not done. It's not done. It's not done. The work must continue. The Bible says, in everything that David dedicated, Saul brought into the house. Now notice that David had in mind to complete the work of God. He had a desire in his heart to build a temple for God. And when Solomon comes on the scene, all of a sudden he says, hey, it's done. It's finished. It's complete. But how many of you guys know that we are always under construction? Every one of us is always under construction. And I love the fact that God told through Jesus Christ, he says, everyone who hears my words, he likens us either to a foolish man or to a man, a wise man who built his house on the sand. I almost call this message Sandman because how many of you guys know that there's some Sandman out there? They're living their lives on shaky ground and when tests and trials come, their faith falters. Now, I, I, I just got to always remind myself that, you, you know, you fall short too. You've made mistakes too. You haven't always been you know in line you sometimes you get a little off course and a lot of times we we, we we want to think that we've got everything under control. We've got everything in, in, in right standing with God. And it was to the self-righteous that Jesus was teaching this message. And the Bible says and when they heard him in Matthew chapter 7, they were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who was having, who had authority. He said, you thinking, you, you thought you, you think you're building on the rock? And on your self-righteousness, on your egotistical, you know, uh, uh, religious religiosity. And the Pharisees walked away. He said, whoa, what kind of message is that? And so Jesus says, you're either like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, or you're a wise man who built his house on the rock. Doesn't matter the size of your home, the size of your faith, the longevity of your life and the Christian faith, storms will visit you. Storms come to the wise and they come to the foolish. 
It doesn't matter. There's no exemption. Storms will come and test your faith. They will come and test your family. The storms of life will come to try to destroy you. How many of you guys heard of the three little pigs? You guys heard that story? The big bad wolf and the three little pigs? How many of you guys have heard of Humpty Dumpty? Oh, sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. You know who all the horses and all the king's men? It's the White House. Some of you guys are waiting for the White House to fix the economy of the world. You're waiting for Michelle Lujan Grisham to fix it. The Bible says, the story says that Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. All the king's horses and all the king's men, they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Congress does not have the answers. The legislature does not have the answers. I respect their position and respect what they're trying to do. But sometimes they want to reach into your wallet and say, here. If I had all the solutions and all the answers to the problems and the money, then I would just throw my own money at it. But they do. They're throwing your money at it, your children's children money at it. Let the future generations try to fix it by paying for it. So there, there is hope for Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> there is hope for you. Notice that Solomon came and he looked at the temple and he says, the work is done. And I could just imagine him thinking, you know, man, I built this wonderful place. My dad gave me the blueprint and, and look at that golden lampstand and look at the table for the showbread. And let me tell you about the ark of the covenant and let me tell you what's inside. And I mean, Solomon could go and he could say, do you know that these tablets, I mean, it wasn't like that tablet I had last week, they want to function. He said, this tablet was like the, I mean, Moses got a visit from God and the Bible says that, that, that this tablet was inscribed by the finger of God. Could you imagine if I brought you an artifact and brought you a piece of stone and said, look at this. This was, and, and then there's a, uh, a, uh, uh, Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron's rod was in that temp, was in that thing, in that ark. And then there was manna that, that came down. The, the, the manna from heaven was preserved in that ark, in the God box. And, and he says, look at this. All this has been in our family and has been in my ancestry for many, many years. And I could just imagine him saying, look, my father gave me this, but he thought the work was done. One of the things that comes to mind when I remember why did God tell David, you shall not build me a house for my name. There was one reason why. It's not because he was an adulterer. Not because he was a polygamist. Not because he was imperfect and, you know, he had many failures. God, when he looked at David, he said, David, you're a man of blood. You've shed too much blood with your hands. And so therefore, not you, but your son will build a house for me. And I love that because the Bible says that from your own body, your son will come and build a house for my name. And so here's David whose hands were full of blood. 
and he could not build the temple for God. But God says, I'm not going to hold that against you, David, but from your body, from your seed will come one who will be the precious blood, who will not only be the, he will be the slain blood of Christ. Through your, through you will come one who will be slain for the sins of the world. He won't have blood on his hands, but he'll have the sin and cover over your sins with his blood. God is always looking forward. So when I read that, I thought, man, look at my Jesus. Because every time we read a story in the Bible, it always should point to Jesus. I just thought of David for a minute and what David, what God must have saw in him to say, not you, but even though you're not going to physically have hands on, but through your sin, through your seed, there will come one through you who will be the one. Now God wasn't just talking of Solomon. He was speaking of Jesus. Now, if you're still there in 2 Chronicles, it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, that when Solomon was standing before the people and he's giving this inauguration speech and he's looking at all the temples, he says, look at the temples done, it's complete. You know, it lacks nothing. Everything in here was, you know, pre-given, is pre-bought. The Bible says that, you know, the queen of Sheba came and visited him. She says, wow, look at your wisdom and look at your servants and look at all these things. He says, you have need of nothing, but here's more. And then the Bible says that he prayed. And this is what I want to get to. Second Chronicles chapter 6, he's praying. And watch in verse 42, he says, Oh, Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Notice that, 42. You know what he's saying? He, he's, not, he's not just saying, don't look away from me. He's saying, oh, Lord, do not turn the face, do not turn away the face of your anointed. And then he says, remember the mercies of your servant David. What was it about David that when God says, you're not going to build me a house because you're a man of blood. Oh, but I love your mercy. Oh, but I love your grace. Oh, I love your compassion. You understand, David, what it's like to have a sheep taken from your mouth and protect that sheep. Oh, David, I love your tender mercies. So when Solomon is there, he's saying, oh, Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant David. I love how it says it in the, in the, um, in the message. It says, and don't, God, back out on your anointed ones. In other words, don't leave us alone. Don't back out on us because we haven't backed out on you. And then chapter 7, it says, when he had finished all these furnishings, he was finished. And how many of you guys know that God is never finished with us? This prayer was 11 years after David. You know that you can never, never run out of reminding God of his mercies. And I'm going to prove it to you. I'm almost done, believe it or not, with this simple little message. 23 years after David was dead, 
2 Kings 11, or 1 Kings 11. It says, Nevertheless, 23 years after David was dead, nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake, notice that, for the sake of your father David, I will not tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will tear it away. Tear, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son. For Notice how he says, for the sake of my servant David. 29 times in the Bible, and I don't have time to go over it, but 29 times God calls David his servant or says, for the sake of my servant David. Why was it? Oh, do not remember or do not forget the mercies of your servant David. 57 years after David's death, 1 Kings 15. 57 years after King David's death, it says, Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. Notice this, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except, notice God adds a footnote, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. I can imagine when David thought about getting a little arrogant and a little prideful about, look at, look at all the stuff, look at all the things, because the Bible says that all the things that David gave to Solomon, Solomon brought into the temple, and I could just imagine David saying, look at all the stuff and things that we've given to our kids, look at all the stuff and things that my son has, look at all the stuff and things, and God says, don't forget about what you did to Uriah, I'm just going to stop right there, God didn't mention Bathsheba, but he said, don't you forget what I did about... And David said, oh, the mercy. Oh, the mercy. God said, I'll remember the mercy. Nevertheless, for David, my servant, I'll remember his mercies. 305 years after David, 2 Kings 19 34, it says, For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Notice what God is saying. Now this is when Sennacherib was coming after King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah was like, Oh Lord God, what do I do? Look at his threatening letters. He's coming after me. And the Bible says, Oh, don't worry. I'll remember the servant, uh, my servant David and my mercies. And you know what God did? The Bible says that in the evening, God sent an angel and slew 100,000 Assyrians. And God says, I will defend this city with one angel. God showed up because he remembered the mercies of my servant David. Oh, remember the mercies of my servant David. All of Israel was surrounded and King Hezekiah said, Oh Lord, protect us, defend us. And David said, Not for my own, for, for my own sake and for servant, my David, my servants, I will defend this city. I don't know what you feel surrounded by, but I feel like singing that song. I may feel surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. 
I might feel like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And Jesus Christ, who remembers the mercies of David, one day God says, I'll remember the mercies of Jesus, and you're not surrounded, but you're surrounded by me. So notice, after David was gone, after he had been buried, God always harked back and remembered the mercies of David. Now we're living in the new covenant, and I know that God does not live in temples built by human hands. But if David was a failure and he was a man of blood and the Bible says that he himself could not build the temple, God said through me will come one and on his name every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So for those of us that are feeling a little bit self-secure, oh, I have need of nothing. I've got everything I need. I don't need that provision. I don't need this or I don't need them. My work is complete. I'm done. I've got everything accomplished. And we fail to forget that God's work is never complete. Isn't it interesting that when God remembered David, he didn't say, oh, but remember his sin. He said, oh, remember the mercies of my servant David. We look back on our own history. And right now there's this argument about the men who came through Española, New Mexico, the conquistadores. Ah, they were evil, wicked men. Let's get rid of them. Let's destroy their statues. You know that the statue in Italy of David still stands, but it's got a crack in its ankles. And it's not because Michelangelo used, as a matter of fact, Michelangelo used a rejected stone. They thought there's no hope for that stone. But Michelangelo said, I can make an excellent piece of King David. And I don't know if you've seen the picture of it. I was going to show you a picture of it, but, it, but he's nude. But, um, but he's cracking at the ankles. But I found a, a more significant person that I thought we ought to remember. Back in the 1500s when Columbus sailed the Americas, how many of you guys have heard of Haiti? The Haitian people, they had an island called Las Navidades. That's what Columbus named it. He landed there on Christmas Eve in the early 1500s and he called it La Puerta de los Navidades, something like that. But there was a Spanish priest that came on that ship and his name was Antonio de Montesinos. He came with a lot of those Spanish conquistadores. And this was a different kind of Spaniard. His name was Antonio de Montesinos. And he was part of the team of Dominican missionaries who landed on the island of Hispaniola. And you know where the name Española comes from? Hispaniola. H-I-S-Paniola. How many of you guys can say, we're Hispaniola? 
I just thought that was cool. He was a, he was a priest from the Dominican Republic, where he left. Yeah, and and it says, thankfully, he was no coward, and he became the first man to raise his voice publicly in America against slavery and all the forms of oppression. On December 21st, 1511, Antonio climbed into the pulpit of a straw-thatched church, faced the Spanish authorities who had gathered and preached one of the history's most blistering Christmas messages. He's right there standing over this port and he's preaching to the Spaniards telling them you're vicious you're cruel and what right does it give you to treat this indigenous people like that because of this man's faith and because his of, of his courage to preach that message they got rid of him and sent him back to Spain but how many of you guys know when God shuts one door he opens another so when the king heard about it Ferdinand, the priest persuaded the king of the horror unfolding in the Americas. And as a result, the king conveyed a commission that established the laws of Burgos, the first ordinance in the Americas aimed at protecting indigenous people. We've been here before. All old news, or all news is old news happening to new people. We just need men of God who will stand up and say, that's not right. All we need is men of God to stand up and say, God has no tribe. God has no nation. We are all one. Galatians, Paul said, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. But we think the work is done. That's not my problem. That's their problem. Families failing, marriages failing, that's their problem. That's not my problem. I saw two little boys come in to church this morning. Where are those two little twins? They're asleep. And I thought, oh, how old love to go back to those days and for some reason I always get that picture of little shorty I was frustrated at the lake and he was in diapers now, man I can't fish with this guy he's got to grow up he's got to mature he's got to, I can't bring him with me because he can't fish and he just distracts me now, oh I would love to go back to that day where you had to walk around them and carry them. Sometimes we think, well, we're finished. We have need of nothing. I always wonder. Sometimes I look at JJ and I say, man, God brought JJ into my life for something. I look at JJ and he's he just... He just reminds me, you don't even know, he reminds me so much of Shorty. It's, it's strange. The other day, Greg, JJ was walking out of the house. My wife bought him some new clothes. And he said, Dad, tell me, tell me I'm fresh. 
tell me I'm fresh. And that's some of our problem. We want people to tell us, oh yeah, you're fresh. You know, if people don't tell you, you'll stand up here or wherever you stand. I'm fresh. I'm fresh. How many of you guys know that we're all in need of repair? How many of you guys during this whole COVID thing have been working on your home? Come on, confession. Maybe your home is done. You ain't got no leaks. You ain't got no fixtures out of you. ain't got no broken floors. You ain't got no broken flagstone. Pastor Mike, don't let us stop. He's like, oh, we dug one hole here, dug another hole here, replaced this, replaced that. What's next? He's going to bed. He's up at night. I'm trying to go to bed, trying to wake up the next morning. He's still walking around the yard. Always something needs to be done. Home Depot and Lowe's. There's no way they're, they don't need Black Friday this November. Guaranteed. Guaranteed they're not in the red. Some of us, maybe you don't need no work. You got the house. Everything's in order. It's all painted. It's beautiful. It's nice. It's finished. Solomon said the work is done. It's finished. That's just what people see. They see the exterior of our lives. But God says this morning, I want to work on the inside. What's on the inside? Maybe there's distrust. There's disunity. Maybe there's hatred. I don't know. God said, what's in here? Because, see, we, we show people out here. I went to Lowe's and I did this work. And, you know, we did the new painting. And we think it's finished. I have need of nothing. Solomon said, look at this. wrote this down in my notes what good is the temple if the ark of the covenant is not in there if the presence of God is not in there see Solomon built a huge temple oh David longed for it he longed for it but I think that David when God saw him he says you may not have built the temple but inside of you there is the presence of mercy inside of you. So I wonder this morning, is there any presence of God in here? Is there any thou shalt not? Because we look at the outside, we well, there's, there's, there's nothing. It's all fixed. It's all repaired. It ain't falling apart out here might be built on rock but God says in here is a shifting sand are you cracking at your ankles you know that statue of King David isn't, isn't cracking because there's nothing wrong with the marble in the plaza where they placed it because the city is so ancient the road and the streets were collapsing. And because of the shift in the in the in the roads in the plaza, 
caused King David to tilt. He's already on a lean, and it caused the ankles to crack. Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed and remember the mercies of David. How many of us need to relook at mercy again? Does mercy dwell in me? Does justice dwell in me? Does righteousness dwell in me? I become egotistical, prideful, and I have need of nothing. When we get like that, I wonder if God says, oh, but that Uriah thing. I can't, I gotta always keep that right there, David, because if I don't, oh, you forget my mercies. You'll forget my love. You'll forget my love extended from you. 